right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here today. We are in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Again, we'll review the verses we went through last week. We got through verses 1 through 7, supposedly, but really it's more like 1 through 5, and we stumbled through 6 and 7, and we'll add verse 8 to it. I'll read it right here in the uh, NIV to start with. Uh, as we go through this, I, I'm going to stop in verse 9. I'll, re- I'll read a little bit through there, verse 9. In fact, I might read the whole uh, second chapter. Uh, and we'll start in uh, chapter 2, verse 9 next week, and, uh, and try and do a nice job of handling those verses diligently. But we'll, we'll see when we get here. Chapter 2, uh, verse 1 again. This is in line in light of Timothy being sent to Ephesus, or dropped off in Ephesus in 62 A.D., and a lot of false, the issue is false teaching. The church is meeting in houses. You've got to keep that in mind. They have house churches. So however big the house is is how many people are in the meeting. They're not in public places or public squares. In Jerusalem, they might be meeting on the Temple Mount or in Solomon's Colonnade. Uh, they may be, some synagogues may have flipped to become Christian. And so they may be, you know, they always are dividing. So they may have synagogues in some locations. And there are Jews definitely involved in this. We'll talk about that today. They're definitely jewish leadership within this group uh kind of causing the the division the exclusiveness of some of the false teaching but again uh the issue is the false teachers and timothy paul is trying to uh help tell timothy personally but it's also a public letter so that the public can see the church can see what timothy is being left there for it's like it's not just timothy coming in throwing his weight around he's being left there almost like the one that inherited uh, Paul's ministry there. And so it begins, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, the word first is important because, first of all, this is like after introducing the subject, the issue in chapter 1, first of all, this is what I want you to address. The, the people can't even pray right because they don't even have correct doctrine. I mean, oh, look, everybody's praying. Praying is nothing if you don't have the truth. You're just, you're just saying your own opinions. If you want power in prayer, you're going to have to pray in line with God's will, pray in line with what God's doing. You're not, you're not convincing God to change His divine, eternal character to match your perspective. You're finding out what God is doing and then praying in line with that. So here we go, chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And again, you'll notice as we go through here, the, exclu- the all, the all that is coming in here, uh, meaning everybody, all places. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. And he says, I'm telling the truth and doubles it up. I'm telling the truth and I am not lying. And a teacher to the Gentiles, the teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. Verse 8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Okay, there's verse 8 where we're going to get to today. And then the rest of the verse, we, we, he just addressed men in verse 8. And then now in verse 9, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, again, he's not putting down some kind of mandate on the Ephesian culture. 
He's saying those that have left the Ephesian culture and joined the church of God, the, the bride of Christ, who profess faith in Jesus Christ and are being transformed into the image of Christ, these are some things I need you to lay behind and start focusing instead of matching the Ephesian culture, matching the Christian culture or the godly culture for women who profess to worship God. All right. I'll read these verses and then duck. Next week, we'll hit them head on, unless I can spend all next week in verse 9 and 10. <laughs> verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Now, just like in the previous verses, he went and gave some Old Testament background on why this was his doctrine. He seems to do that right here, and these are some uh, uh, interesting you got to put these verses together in the correct way, and I'll try to do that next week. The reason a woman should learn in quietness and full submission and not have authority over a man and must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became uh, a sinner. Now, verse 15. A woman will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So again, notice the combination of commands, uh, an Old Testament reference, you could almost say obscure, but not necessarily, and then some random promise of childbearing and being kept safe, or actually, sozo, saved. Uh, and it's like, and how those verses all link together, uh, from, you know, and that those we'll talk about that next week, from being outdated to being Paul, uh, the, the one who is narrow-minded, to being something that applies just to the Ephesian culture. Uh, how do you mix it in with the modern culture? And you can see very clearly how the modern culture, uh, where we're at today, wouldn't agree with those. And these are some of those verses where they want to say the Bible's outdated. Or are we so out of touch with reality that we can't even see the light? Again, not going to go there today, but that's where we're heading, and that's why this next few verses may take months to get through before we get to these verses. <laughs> All right, now, on your notes, yeah, <laughs> big, bold Bible teacher. <laughs> uh, yeah, just watch. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just skip, I'll just, next week. Chapter 3, verse 1, you're like, what? Where did he go? Uh, okay, these verses today now. Uh, just a review uh, on the first page, I kind of, some of these notes are the same as last week. A lot of them I, I reduced, cut it down so I didn't have to print them all again. But again, the, the church you see at the very beginning, the, the issue that you see already in chapter 1 is there's different doctrines, there's myths and endless genealogies being presented. Now again, get that picture of a, a variety of many house churches. And Paul prophesied in Acts that there'd be wolves among their own number, elders that would arise and distort the truth to draw people after themselves. And so those wolves are in place in these house churches. There's people that are teaching, and they're into, uh, right here, a myths and endless genealogies, speculation, and vain discussions. And we're going to see right here to add to this a little bit to see where it's going. Those speculations mean you don't have anything absolute. Now, there's a place to... Uh, and I've done it different times. You, 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 you sit and you have a theological discussion and you start talking about things you really don't understand or your mind can't go there. You know, beginning with the Trinity. I mean, we accept the Trinity as a doctrine, but then you go on, what was it like before time began? What is God like? He lives outside of time, but yet we're in time and how, you know, he's transcendent and we're here. And it, there, you begin, it's beyond the human mind. And eventually you have to accept a few things as doctrine 
but then you try to start making application or insight and you have to start speculating you know uh, like for example the, the six days of creation I mean, it says what it says in the text of Scripture. And so you've got God just, and, and Jacob, or Tyler, uh, I, I, I got six sons and eight grandchildren. And then I spend the weekend, all week with Tyler and the weekend with Zach. And Jacob was here last weekend. So I, I've about got my mind clear up so I can call Tyler, Tyler when I talk to him. But all it takes is a, a one phone call. And also my mind is all scrambling again. I'm calling Tyler, Jacob, and Jacob, Tyler. But, and that doesn't matter to you, but... The mind of an old man trying to keep track of. Okay, Jay, uh, t- again. Tyler uh, was asking me because we're 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 doing some homeschooling, and uh, he's doing Bible and we're doing Hebrew, and then he 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 knows you know how kids are. The same way in school, raise a hand, and it's like hey, instead of having class today, let's get the teacher talking about something they're interested in and we can just sit and just like uh-huh 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 and just ask around and, and it's like you know, they get nothing done and so a lot of teachers like to do that. i used to like to do that in fact tyler does it to me tony kind of kind of looks at me once in a while did he ask you a question well yeah he was interested she says he's just keeping you distracted and so but he does say and i you know i i think i'm doing a good job uh but he does he's came up with he says he's, uh, he says you know the god created the earth in six days but now watch he says but he says the, the, the bird, it's very complicated. And he even mentioned he's the eye, and he's reading other stuff. You know, the eye is how it's designed. When you, you read the stuff about how it's, uh, the design of creation refutes evolution. Just everything just big bang, it all just came into, even the fact that now I'm intelligent, I'm reasoning, and I'm evaluating this. I mean, I've got more power than the original big bang had because of my intellect and reason. And, and it's like it, it, logic and reason can't just come out of just chaos. You have to have logic and reason to create something out of chaos. And so you have to have the word first, bef- and then you have the organization. So he says, you know, I, he says, if we believe the six days of creation, and then the people reading stuff about how the eye is designed and birds are designed to fly, how can that just happen just all of a sudden? I mean, just like, Meaning God created all the birds and then, you know, and the fish all in one day. It's like, and he said, I know that God can do anything. I said, yes, but we're not talking about magic. You know, I mean, we, meaning it's like, it's not just, he goes, yeah, but I believe in miracles. I says, right, but you do think there's got to be some kind of a plan. It's not just, boom, there's a bird. And the details are like eternal through all the way down to the DNA. It's like, how much thought went into this bird design? Then we talk about time, that God lived before time, and not to live, but he existed outside of time, how time was created. And we start to speculate. You know, how did this happen? Because that's a good question. I mean, the bird is like, God just created a bird. No, he created all the birds in one day. It's like, I mean, are we talking 24 hours? That's a lot of engineering and then production uh, for one day. And he also was doing the fish on the side. Again, it, 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 we're not being mocking, but it's like, whoa, how, how do you put this all together? In the, in the reasoning mind of an 11-year-old, I mean, I have a hard time putting together a, well, we've done shop projects, and it takes us several days to plan it, design it, cut the pieces, assemble it, and finally finish it. And God's doing this with birds that are way more complicated than little wood projects. So, my point. I'm so sorry. These people are speculating. And me and Tyler would, for example, speculating on what it was like, how did God create these things. So there's a place for 
realizing you're talking about stuff you don't understand, but it appears these speculations, we're going to read later on in 1 Timothy here, that these, these speculations are leading to arguments and disputes and divisions uh, because it's like people are making these speculations, maybe talking about things, it's like just let it go, but they're starting to make things doctrinal. Uh, you see right here, it also says uh, vain discussions, misteaching of the law, and it says as it, in the text, wanting to be teachers of the law, but not knowing what they're talking about. So they're speculating on things that they don't understand, and they're teaching Scripture like a rabbi, Old Testament Scripture like a rabbi, but they're not a rabbi, and so they're talking in circles, and they're making these things doctrinal statements and arguing with others who are also speculating, coming up with... It's like, no, Paul, Paul is giving them the, the truth. This is Paul gives them the truth. We call it the the faith once for all given to the saints or the gospel that has been revealed the revealed revelation given to the apostles the apostolic doctrine and paul tells telling timothy stay in this circle there's people out here speculating about this and reading this version dragging it out here and then they start arguing and now they got fights uh you've got divisions you've got people separating it's like just stop stay out get teach this what has been revealed and that's what timothy's being sent there for uh but again those speculations are leading to disputes and then then of course they're not they're not growing because they're not teaching the truth they're out here teaching this speculation and getting a group of people over here i agree with these guys i agree with these guys and now we're we're facetiming and and tra uh, trashing each other on social media arguing and and having quarrels with each other it's like the truth that transforms and produces godly character that will produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. We're not even doing that. We're over here. So what are you going to have? You're going to have lawlessness. And this is not the city of Ephesus. This is the church of Jesus Christ or the supposed church of Jesus Christ. And these false teachers are wrecking havoc. And what they want is, I want more people in my group and I can profit over here, and I can become powerful, wealthy, and these guys are fighting back and forth, and there's sheep being drug into this, and that is what Paul is telling Timothy to stop. Uh, it, they reject a good conscience. They've shipwrecked their faith. Uh, now, this chapter 2, verse 1 through 8, it breaks down this way. His first concern is, is prayer uh, and how to pray correctly, because with this false doctrine, now you're out here in this camp, and you're going to get together, and you're going to pray. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a group like this that was off in a false doctrine. Uh, they may have been a church. They may have been a good Christian community, but they were like, over here, it's like ignorant, and then they're praying. It's kind of like, uh, as you grow in the Word, you begin to realize, you, this is not you're not praying to god and god's not going to answer that prayer if god does answer that prayer it's going to be mercy and lead you back into the truth and just forget that you actually prayed that well these people are praying whatever or whatever over here and paul is saying the target is this you need to know the truth so you can know correctly how to pray and so he tells him in verses one through two in chapter two how to pray and then chapter 3 through 4, we looked at it a little bit last week, he talks about God's will. And this is the big picture of God's will. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now that ideal of all people is possibly referring to the exclusiveness of these false teachers. It, it's going to become more and more obvious as we go through this. Even when we get into it last week, we talked about 
the riot in Ephesus was led by Alexander, who was a Jew. No, 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 excuse me. The riot was not led by Alexander. It was led by the artisans. But Alexander, a gold or silversmith, wanted to come in and address the crowd, the mob, in the theater. He was a Jew. He appears to be one of the false teachers that was over here, possibly dragging people off into Jewish exclusiveness and speculating, having heard the gospel, it's like, well, whatever, but then coming over here and becoming his own Paul and trying to teach these people. And so one of the things that they're being exclusive about would be within their Jewish rank, within some kind of closed uh, group. And when it says God wants all people to be saved, of course, that can refer to every individual, but probably in this argument here, and we're going to see as this develops, that he's talking about Gentiles, that God is reaching all types of people. Now, you can be God wants every individual saved. You can argue that case. But in context, it's not just your specific group or this little Bible study here. God wants all. You, you don't have to be a Jew or you don't have to be a special person, an elite, to be saved. God wants all people saved. That's God's will is being explained. So first is here's how to pray. This is how, what God's will is, that all people come to knowledge. And then in verse 3, he gives theological support. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus, or the human Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. He didn't just come die for the Jews. It was prophesied he would come die for his people. But also he died for the world. This goes all the way back throughout the Old Testament. Again, Paul would be assuming that if you can teach the Old Testament correctly, you'll see that the plan was all nations would be brought to the Lord through this one man. Uh, himself a ransom for all. And again, if you want to go ransom for all individuals, I think there's room in there. But I think in context was a ransom not just for the Jews, but all the people groups, which is the testimony given at its proper time. Meaning this was not revealed. It was just in Scripture but now that it has happened, it is now the testimony at the proper time. In the Old Testament, it was prophesied, God is going to do this. God is going to do this. Of the nations will be blessed through Abraham. God will send uh, the Savior. All the nations will come to Jerusalem. We're talking about that, but it never happened. Well, now Christ came, died, was resurrected. Now the testimony is, it's time. It, it, he has done it. It used to be a prophecy but it's been fulfilled, and now it's the time to proclaim this message that God has died, sent Jesus who has died for all people, all nations. And then, what, so if he's died for all nations, exactly, so what are you doing about it, Paul? And he says, uh, now it agrees with Paul's missions. For this, I was appointed as a preacher, an apostle, and then here's this interesting line right here. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And what he says right here, I was appointed a herald, and that is a, someone that is a, a proclaimer. They're proclaiming something, an announcement. Before there was you know, a 6 o'clock news program or before there was news networks, there was a herald would be sent out to make a proclamation. Paul first says he's a herald, sent out with a proclamation, an apostle. Okay, okay, we can handle all this. And then he says, I'm telling the truth I am not, I don't know how to spell lie, I'll just do that, I don't know how to spell lying, too many letters. I, and then he says right here, I am not lying. He says, a teacher to the Gentiles. 
Not only is he proclaiming a message, not only is he an apostle, a sent one by God, but I, I'm not, I'm not lying, you're going to have a hard time handling this in your exclusive Jewish teaching, but I am a teacher sent to teach the Gentiles. Not just proclaim the message, you know, the Jews get to go to heaven, you're all doomed, but you also can join, and I will now instruct you in the way. So it's not just proclaiming the message, it's not just being sent, it's I will stay and teach the Gentiles. Now remember, Paul's a rabbi, he was, he was trained to teach the Jews. Now that rabbi has been given a new message, or you know, the fulfilled message, sent by God, with the intention of going to the Gentiles, and now he's going to teach the Gentiles like they're Jews in a synagogue. I'm going to explain to them. Now, of course, he's not going to explain the Old Testament covenant to the Gentiles because they can learn from it. They're not part of it. He's going to be teaching them the new explanation of the new covenant, uh, the New Testament. And we talked about it last week, a little bit at the end, and we talked about it on, on tu- Tuesday, Tuesday night. Yes, Tuesday night. The new priesthood, the new Levites, the ones that are now bringing the new offerings to God. Now, again, that does not dismiss, that does not dismiss the Old Testament and the prophecies to the Jews, because again, the Jews are going to continue, it appears, if Old Testament, until their Messiah comes, their temple is rebuilt, and they're in Jerusalem for the millennial reign. But it does include the idea that the Gentiles are going to be brought along in this, not the Mosaic covenant, but in the new covenant are going to be brought along. And Paul's making his point right here. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And that's what he's teaching them. He's teaching them the faith. Now watch. He's teaching them the faith. But he's teaching them the faith in truth. And you can see this all the time in Christianity. Uh, uh, people of faith... People of faith, uh, if it be uh, churches that have faith, if it be, you know, memes that are, you know, little faith, uh, if it's those little self-help faith books, uh, we have faith. And this can branch off in a wide variety of false doctrine because once you say, what is faith? Well, faith is God, confidence in God, uh, it's hope in God, everything works out for a reason uh, nothing happens without a purpose. It's like, okay, you're just, you're just reading bumper stickers off a display at some truck stop. Uh, that, that faith is in the truth. It is the word of God that is explained. And when you understand the truth, you can have faith. Now, this faith will produce godliness. This faith will change you out of your secular way of living. This faith will produce what is called the fruit of the Spirit, the nature of God, because you've got the truth, you believe the truth, it has transforming power. Out here, bumper sticker Christianity, oh, we have faith, and then you write a bunch of bumper stickers and put a bunch of memes up, write a bunch of books with pink covers with flowers on them. Uh, that, that, is, that is not faith. That is, that is false teaching. And it's going to be uh, claiming to be godly. Did you read your pink flowered devotion book today? It's like claiming to be godly. I read it every day. But denying the power. This truth, when it is believed and in the soul, will transform you. When we talk about power in, 
you know, in, in, in my Christian world that I grew up in and, and went through, is you're thinking about power of God, you know, healing the sick, raising the dead, you know, slaying people while they're coming forward to prayer, and people falling over, uh, and all, you know, speaking in tongues, and signs and wonders, and cloud and smoke machines, power. It's like, no, we're not talking about weird spiritual manifestations we're talking about power of the transformed life taking the person that is dead in their soul in their works and transforming them into the truth now they're alive in their spirit they're alive in god and they're producing the nature of god at this time in history meaning in this fallen age in this fallen world you're walking with the nature of god that is what we would say i'm running out of room here that is power over here you're going to be doing all these false teachings, whatever they are, claiming to be godly, but clearly you have no power. You look just like the people sitting in the coffee shop reading the false doctrine, look just like the people over here that are ungodly and new agers, uh, you're, you're, you're the same. You look exactly the same, you have no power of transformation. All right, that leads to the next verse, and I have to flip to the back of the notes here for this one on page page 10 after saying that he says i desire page 10 chapter 2 verse 8 i desire then that in every place men should pray lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling so here is his, from there what is his desire because all of that tr is true his desire or his wish what i want to see happen and he's writing to timothy timothy well, because of this situation in verses 1 through 7, what I want to see when I come to the church, I want to see men in prayer, which is what this started with in verse 1, how to pray, men praying, he would assume, correctly, with holy hands lifted, which is the position of prayer, it involves the blessing. Uh, but now there's, there's one of two ways. One is correct, the second one is wrong. Holy hands, which says without disputing. It says holy hands without anger or quarreling. So we would just say uh, in, in peace, in harmony. And not, not just in harmony with each other, but in harmony with the truth. They've now been transformed into the truth. They've learned the truth. The opposite, if you're teaching speculation and you're teaching myths and endless genealogies, there's no target. See, we have the apostolic truth. We have the target right here but if you close this and everyone's going to write self-help books with bumper sticker logos or uh, uh, quotes in it and it's like what's the target it's like this target is moving it's going to be speculative and there's nowhere to land and it's going to lead to arguing disputes it's going to lead to well it says right there the speculation teacher it's coming up i'll show you the verse the speculation has led the church to arguments that when they get together they're not praying, they're coming to outmuscle each other on their, on their false doctrine. They're coming to outmuscle each other on their new myths, genealogy proof that my doctrine is correct. And they're not praying in peace with holy hands lifted up. They're, they're coming together, they're not praying, they're arguing and disputing with each other, and it's producing more we're going to see in the book and it continues in second timothy more and more ungodliness and 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 the corrupting of people and it's like in other words right there that would be where you'd say stop going to church 
your biggest problem is you're going to church. Now, when would, you, when would it, someone teaching a Bible class or being in a, a church setting say, it's time to stop going to church? Well, when they're filling you with false doctrines, speculating, establishing points of power, and then causing arguments and divisions, and you're becoming, not, you're not growing towards Christ, they're releasing the sin nature uncontrolled and calling it godliness. And it's like, you, that, the whole church of Ephesus is in trouble because of that. All right. <laughs> With that being said, as an overview, let's go to page two. And on top of page two, uh, we got to go through these verses uh, fairly quickly. I got some things I want to build on from last week, but I want to do a little bit of review. Uh, chapter two, uh, uh, verse one. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. In the Greek box, there you can see the word all, panton, which means. Uh, it, it's that ex- inclusive word of all everything. Uh, he's urging, he's exhorting them. That's what he's, he's, in a sense, commanding. This is what I want you to do. And again, he's writing to Timothy with the church also reading the letter. So Paul's saying it. Timothy's going to step up and present it, and they're holding their hand or having read to them Paul's letter. This, If you're going to stay in the church, this is what we're going to do. If not, we're going to have to get rid of you. Uh, first is proton. Turn the page. Uh, they got four types of words there on top of page three for prayer, entreaties, prayer, intercessions, thanksgiving. It's kind of like an all-exclusive. Some of them are almost synonyms. Some of them are translated different ways throughout the translation of the English Bible because they're synonyms. So again, that's just like all types of prayer for all people and for your leaders. And then chapter 2, verse 22, again, the word all, uh, panton, comes up two more times. For kings and all who are in high positions, so you're going to be praying for your leadership and your They may not be Christians, but you're praying for them that they can follow God and God established in the Old Testament, Gentile or pagan leadership, uh, if it be uh, Nebuchadnezzar, if it be Cyrus, if it be whoever is who God is worried. And he says right there, Cyrus is my anointed one. Uh, He's using Cyrus. Uh, So God would use that. Now your job is to pray that they would manage the government, which we can all use that in our country, that the government would decide to make ethical decisions so that we can have, well, peaceful and quiet lives. Because how are you going to have a church service? How are you going to gather together? How are you going to instruct people in the truth and help them grow in the truth if you're constantly in turmoil if there's crime in the streets if there's 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 you have no food whatever the turmoil that you've got to worry about instead of even in your own life you know the difference sometimes trying times not sometimes but you know they do trying times will lead you closer to god but at the same time if you want times of growth uh uh, seasons of rain helps the crops grow but you're also going to have to have some sunshine and peace for the crops to develop and so yes you have times of turmoil that will cause you to look to god find god hold on to god during the storm but if your whole life is the flood of noah and you're just holding on to the side of the ark uh you're just in survival mode your whole life you need some time in the sunshine also to grow and develop uh and that's what he's saying peaceful and quiet lives and that goes down to bottom page three, may lead a peaceful and quiet life, describes the climate and circumstances the kings were going to establish. Peaceful, page four, it means quiet and tranquil. It means undisturbed. You're praying for your kings and for all people that are your leaders so that you may have an undisturbed life. And the, guy, the ideal of that is good. I just want to live in peace and prosperity and have my best life now. That's not the point. 
You're not having your best life now. If you're like you, it's an old saying now. But if you're having your best life now, you're on your way to hell. If you're having your best life now, you're missing the point. You're supposed to be preparing yourself and growing towards the kingdom that is coming that is going to be so much better than anything we can imagine. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around it, but it's so much better. So you want a peaceful, quiet life that you can grow. And again, the quiet life, again, means peaceful and quiet. Uh, here, live godly and dignified in every way. This, so that you can live this way. Godly means piety towards God or godliness. Uh, calling them, uh, point seven, God, Paul is calling them to rise above the culture of the Artemis worship. And look, in se- uh, I got that verse, 1 Timothy 6, point seven, down there, uh, 6, 5. He says, that constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's that reference, we'll look at that reference again. That's that idea of the false teachers having their speculations and teaching their myths and endless genealogies, wanting to be teachers of the law but not even understanding the Old Testament or the New Covenant. Uh, they're, con- they're creating constant friction among people, people of depraved mind. I mean, if you keep coming to this kind of a church service or this kind of a bible study you indicate you have a depraved mind you are not born again if you can sit in this church whatever church you're in that is not teaching if you can sit in a rainbow church and not walk out you are of a depraved mind and are deprived of the truth it's like if you're sitting it's like wait if you're born again you know the truth and they start waving rainbow flags or a number of any other things that are corrupt you walk out because if you can stay and justify it with your doctrine your doctrine's twisted and you are again constant friction among people who are 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 depraved in mind and deprived of the truth you are deprived of the truth if you can say well i'm on a mission well, okay, if you're on a mission like Paul went to the Gentiles and you're called, well, then we should start seeing some fireworks. We should start seeing some revival. When Paul goes to Thessalonica, there's a response. When Paul goes to Corinth, there's a response. There's a response in Ephesus, and he's gone in to correct it. So if you're in some progressive, postmodern church that's twisted and deprived of the truth, well, I just feel called here. Well, all right. I'll pray for you, God bless you, but you better be lighting that place up and let's see some revival. But not, you're just, I'm just here to keep peace. It's like, okay, that would be the depraved mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Okay, uh, that, that's that part right there. You want a peaceful life so you can live godly. And the, the false teachers were not creating godliness in their, these house churches that Timothy is going to be overseeing are not, in this sense, creating godliness in their people. They're creating friction, strife, anger, and, and more and more false teaching. Okay, dignified, it, it means uh, honor, gravity, seriousness. And these are clearly outward signs. Because of your faith, these are outward signs that people can see in your life. The godliness and seriousness that you have. And that doesn't mean you don't laugh at jokes. It means you understand the, the, the seriousness or the weight of the current situation. Uh, we're not just having our best life now. That would be very, that would be levity. That would be happy. It's like, it doesn't matter. Just have a good time. It's like, no, no, no. This is more serious than you having your best life now. This is serious. We're talking about 
God, the battle with evil, and your eternity and your spiritual growth in Christ. Well, I just want to have my best life now. Okay, you're not being serious. You're not taking this serious. Uh, Page 5, chapter 2, verse 3. This, what Paul just wrote, not what I just said. What I just said could be, you know, crossed off, reevaluated, called false teaching. But his statement that uh, pray for... uh, your leaders, kings, and all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He says, this is good and pleasing to God. So being able to have a peaceful and quiet life, tranquil life, so that you may grow spiritually and produce godliness with seriousness on the situation. This is good, he says. And he says, pleasing in the sight of God. Now, right here, we're going Old Testament. This is where we left off last week. You've got God now up here in God's sight. God is looking down. He's looking down at the temple, or, you know, he's in the temple looking out from the holy place, most holy place, however you want to picture that. And he sees things that are good, and he sees things that are pleasing. These things apply to the sacrificial system. First of all, Very important, and I went through this very in a rush last week, so if you're bored, I am apologizing. But this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, English Standard Version of chapter 2, verse 3. If you look at point 4, that statement, this is good and acceptable. I'm going to change this word, pleasing, to acceptable, because that is, again, uh, acceptable translation of the word pleasing. Good and acceptable. Acceptable, I hope I spelled it right comes out right out of the Septuagint. And the Septuagint, as we were talking last week, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And Paul is writing in Greek. So when he writes his letters, he is, in this point, using a quote right out of the Septuagint in this verse, which is the Hebrew Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament, specifically, in this case, talking about the, the cultic practice on the Temple Mount, the word, the priest's activity in a good sense, the, the, the offerings, the sacrifices. If they were not good, they would be rejected and you could be punished for it. If they were defiled, they would not be acceptable and you would not be welcomed into the presence of God. Your, your sacrifice would be rejected. And here we have it in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 21. Uh, we've got the same line right here, good and acceptable. In Deuteronomy 6.18, what is right and good in the sight of the Lord your God? Paul's taking taking this verse right out of Deuteronomy. Point C, Deuteronomy 12.25, the good and pleasing before the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 12.28, the good and the pleasant before your God. See, in the sight of God, or they're saying here, the translation is before your God. And chapter 12, verse 21 through 9, the good and the good before the Lord your God. And so these two words are being taken out of the Septuagint, the Hebrew Scriptures, referring to the God of the Old Testament on looking down on the Jews. The word point five, the word good is, means goodness, rightness, or the behavior, goodness of behavior. So God is right here, this is good. This is approving. Uh, this is something that is, that's the goal right here. The word uh, pleasing is a little more detailed. Pleasing or acceptable. You can see the 
Greek there, is the term used in the word group used to describe the sacrifices in the Levitical offering as acceptable to God. So this right here, this good, is God's sight. God's sight looks down at this and says, good. Just like he looked at creation, day one, day two, day three, it was good. It was good. And it was very good. He's now looking down on you, if it be Deuteronomy, or if it be in Ephesus, as you've heard the truth and your behavior has improved and grown in the image of Christ, it is good. This is good. In God's sight, he's looking down and saying, your life, like he said on day one or day two, this is good. He, it, it's, it's good in God's sight. Acceptable is Levitical. It is a word that your sacrifice could be accepted or it could be rejected. Uh, and in this case, okay, I'm looking here. Yeah, that's what it means, is what it replaced the sacrifice in the New Testament. And what is possibly happening here, and it's, I'll give you some support, is there is no, especially, see, especially, it's, oh boy, I hope you're with me on this. It appears the Jews, some of the Jews, starting on the, on the day they had the riot in the temple, or the, in the theater, have, have been, are overriding Paul. They're rejecting Paul. They're rejecting his mission to the, the Gentiles. They're keeping it right here, and they're, they're, the Jews within Ephesus are coming in uh, and, and taking over the church and recreating, taking Paul's message, we like it, but we reject your application of it, taking Paul's message, combining with the Old Testament that they can't teach, they don't understand, and the law of Moses, and they're creating their own little Christianity that Paul calls powerless, godless. It's, it's, it's not true. He calls it an error. Now he's going to the Old Testament, and he's calling, these, calling up these verses in the sight of God and the Levitical sacrifices. There is no temple worship. There's no sacrifice. You can see that in Galatians. You can see that in Romans. There's no place that Paul is leading you back to the Jewish law, but he has taken these terms. But how do we serve God? How do we please God? Well, this right here, prayer is now good and acceptable. This prayer with truth that is transforming the soul and your, uh, I'll say, uh, I'll just write the word performance because that's the first thing came to my mind. Performance in the sense of your observable behavior in the world. It, it, it's godly. So this right now, especially the prayer, this is now, if you're praying for kings and all who have authority and you're praying for all people for a quiet life that you can grow and become godly, this now is your accept. This is ex he just says acceptable. He doesn't say acceptable sacrifice, but he takes Deuteronomy terms right here about God's sight, looking down and seeing it as good, a sacrifice that is acceptable, and he says this is what you're doing. You don't need a temple. You don't need the rituals. You need to hear the truth, manifest the truth in your life, and this is what God is looking for. Now, support of those verses, if you don't mind, or support of that idea. Bottom of page 5, Romans chapter 15, verse 16. Are you ready? Paul writes, The grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Okay, right there. God gave him grace to be a minister. You can say herald, apostle, teacher, minister, servant to the Gentiles, watch, in the priestly service of the gospel of God. The priestly service. Paul says, I am now on a, I'm a minister to the Gentiles. You'll herald, apostle, teacher to the Gentiles. And that is a priestly office. 
a priestly service. He says, I'm like a priest going to the Gentiles looking for sacrifices, offerings to God. Priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. He says there's only one way to get these Gentiles acceptable in the sight of God. How are we going to get these Gentiles well, let's teach them the law of Moses. Let's teach them the sacrifice. Let's teach them the dietary laws. Let's teach them, it's like, let's teach them the gospel, introduce them to the Messiah, who was the ransom for all people at the right time, and now they are accepted. They are a sacrifice. We're not going to slaughter them on the altar, but we're going to bring them through the offering of Christ and put them on the other side, and now they are Without the law of Moses, you're still using the Levitical terms. You're still talking about the priesthood. You're still talking about the Gentiles coming to God, but they've got to go through the gospel. And to stop and say, oh, they've got to go through the law also, it's like, oh, wait, wait. You want to be a teacher of the law, but you don't know what you're talking about. Or you're going to start to speculate, and it's this and that. It's like, no, you're going to just cause arguments. The, the, the apostolic doctrine, Jesus Christ died for sinners he was a ransom for all now paul says my priestly ministry is to be a a, a, a a teacher an apostle of the gentiles so that right here the priestly service of the gospel so that the offering of the gentiles may be acceptable there's that word sanctified by the holy spirit in christ jesus how did they become accepted you got a gentile that hasn't even following the law well they became acceptable by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus did the work. The Holy Spirit makes a transformation. They're now on this side of the cross. They're accepted. Why? Because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross, the transformation power of the Holy Spirit, they've got the truth. What about the law? What, 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 what did you not understand? I mean, it's like the, we've taken all the terms and put them into the new covenant. Now, this is not... This is not replacement theology. This is not saying the Jews are, are past. It's not saying that all the promises of the Old Testament are not going to take place. This is saying we've got a new covenant. This is how the Gentiles come in. It's not saying anything about the Jews and the prophecies that were made about them. I mean, you can try that if you want to, but then you're going to have to do some jumping and dancing. Okay, turn the page, page 6. Philippians 4, 4.18. He's writing to the Philippians. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. He's in prison writing back. He's, I don't need any more. I got the church helping pay for my, he's renting a house and the church is helping him do that. They're visiting him every day. People are sending him money offerings and gifts and food and you know, fruit cakes or whatever, extra potato salad you know, from the Asia Minor and, and Corinth. Uh, he's, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, which are a fragrant offering. The gifts they sent are a fragrant offering, which is right out of the temple service, a sacrifice acceptable, see, a sacrifice, this is potentially a financial donation to Paul while he's in prison in Rome under house arrest. That money becomes an acceptable sacrifice or a, a fragrant offering, a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, at this time, the temple was still standing. 
but Peter is saying that you're being gathered from the Gentile communities uh, to be built into a spiritual house to, to be a holy... Now notice he switches imagery. A spiritual house, like a temple, but also a holy priesthood. So you are a stone in a temple, yes, but you're also a stone, or excuse me, in a priesthood uh, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable, there's that word, to God through Jesus Christ. So you as a Gentile or as a believer in Christ are being brought into this temple. You're being placed into a priesthood of which, how do I get there? If you're a believer in Christ, you are there. The only thing that's missing is the knowledge of that's the facts. It's like you need to know this. You are in the temple of God. You are part of the temple of God. You are in the priesthood. You are part of the priesthood. And now what do I do here? Well, I'm just saved, going to heaven. No, no, no. You're supposed to be offering in that position because what Christ did, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Yes, indeed. Jesus Christ is the one who died for you and put you in the house of God, put you in the temple, made you part of the body of Christ, made you a priest. But now that you're here, you're supposed to be providing acceptable, off, acceptable, why do I do this? Acceptable offerings, which if we go back and, and read through that, those acceptable offerings would be your, your, your thinking, your behavior, and it's like, oh, so you're working your way for heaven. You're trying, you're earning your way. You're earning, no, behavior, which is in Christ. You're, you've got divine power. It's the divine power base that is in you. You've been put in the temple. You've been put in the priesthood by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now by understanding the truth, by first of all, knowing how to pray, you can live a life that is pleasing and acceptable, and your behavior, the godliness that he is talking to the Corinthians or the Ephesians about, that is your visible perform. We can see you are godly. It, it's something that's tangible. It's not just an attitude. That it, again, and it's in Christ. I mean, in the end, it, it's Christ is working through you. And so this is uh, again support for that idea that he's talking about the priesthood. And again, point seven in the sight of God, our, our God, our Savior. That is the ideal of God inspecting the offering. And understand, God is, observe, is, is being done in Christ by the power of the Spirit. Uh, you've been placed there by God, and now he's observing your behavior. And when you produce that fruit of the Spirit, when you produce that godliness, he, in his sight, he's, he's accepting it. Now, chapter 2, verse 4. After saying that, okay, i got to go back. This is good, this praying for your leaders and pleasing this is your good. This praying for your leaders is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Now, I talked about a lot of sacrifices and a lot of offerings, but in the context, what is good and pleasing, what is the acceptable offering, it is first prayer. It's like, what have we all said? As a church coming together, focus on the truth, you pray correctly as God has prescribed for your leadership that you can have a peaceful life this type of prayer is a acceptable sacrifice from the priesthood of the church pray for your leaders and pray that you may have a peaceful life that you can again the goal grow in christ that's not, that's all he said i mean it's like wow that's a long way around well that's what he said uh so that you and this this is good and pleases in god uh, in the sight of god our savior now why does he want you to pray that you may have peace? Here it is in chapter 2, verse 4. Because it says, 
who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Because once you have a, a solid foundation in, in doctrine, in character, in a community, in a, your society, now we can get on with the goal that God wants of all people being sozo, saved, and coming to gnosis, knowledge, of God their Savior. You need to be saved and you need knowledge of it. Now it's hard to do this if you don't have peace, if you're running rampant, if you yourself are not righteous. If you yourself are not living in a way that is an acceptable way to God, the project now is you. And lastly, we want you is reproducing because you're, a mess, you're messed up. So once you can pray and you've got peace and you've got spiritual growth and you're producing the fruit of the Spirit, which is good and pleasing, it's acceptable, now the goal is we're going to, why does God want that? Well, he wants all men to be saved. Uh, all people, again, I write point A, it could be all individuals. But I think in context, especially ending with Paul describing his ministry as the ministry to the Gentiles, he's talking about the, all the nations. And now we read that back into what is the problem. Why is he starting this off? What's the, why is this the first thing he's talking about? I think we have to assume that within that church of Ephesus, there's a Jewish base or some base of false teachers that are exclusive. You can't come, you can't come, no. We've got our own little group. Now again, the, I say Jewish because that'd be a perfect group. The Jews have followed the rabbi, Paul. They've come into the Christian faith. It's like, okay, we got it from here. Go away, Paul, and we're going to fix it. And they just take their Jewish tendencies and go right back to closing the walls off. It's we're the chosen people. The Messiah came. You've got to join us. And if you do, you've got to jump through our hoops. It could be that exclusive, or it could be something else. Again, we do not have a, you know, an outline of what he's talking about. We're kind of guessing, but it, it would appear that to be that way. Uh, he desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Point B, 1B, Scripture support for all men. Referring to the Gentiles, there's all those verses right there. Romans uh, 3, 29. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Paul says, yes, of the Gentiles also. Since Watch, watch, this is going to be important. Also the Gentiles, since God is one. You see? Now that's going to, that's going to be a huge point that we just, Paul, for some reason, throws it in there. The Gentiles also, and why the Gentiles? Sure, he's the God of the Jews, but he's also the God of the Gentiles. Why? And he says, because God is one, which, for, you know, it's like, it'd be like me being in some kind of science class or language class. You see the point? No, I have no idea why that's a point. The idea here is God is one. This is coming out of the, the, the great verse of the Old Testament. The Lord our God is one, which means there's only one. He's a unit. He's singular. And if he's going to provide salvation, that salvation is for, he's, one. he's not going to, this is salvation for the Jews, and this is salvation for the Gentile. It's like, you know, he's one. So if he's going to provide salvation for mankind, and that would be the Jews, that, self, that singular God is producing a singular salvation. It's for all people. That would be a very simple way of explaining it. But notice, that's in Romans. We're not even in our text, and we're going to right back to that point in our text. Romans 3, 29-30. Yes, the Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. 
Well, the Jews are saved by obeying the law. No, the Jews are saved by faith. The Jews had a law. It reflected their obedience to God and their covenant they had with God, dealing with time and temporal situations. But how are the Jews saved? Well, right, well, I think the Jews are saved by faith. And I think the Gentiles are then saved by faith also. Are you sure? I don't know. Let's ask Paul. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Okay, let's forget what I think and let's just go with what Paul says. Uh, Romans 11, 12, and 25. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, there's a point coming where the Jews are included today with the church or by faith. Now, when I say church, I should say with Christ by faith, but there's a large portion of Jews that are outside they've rejected the messiah and so they can't have faith in the messiah now they're still following the law they're still waiting for their messiah or we can say they're still waiting for the revelation to come to them of the messiah that's already come it says if their failure means riches for the gentiles how much more will their full inclusion mean in other words they rejected christ and the gospel went to the gentiles well we're still waiting for the jews to come to a full recognition of who he is and if that day comes, that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for that day where the Jews go, well, they look in the one they pierced. They, there he is. The, they mourn for the one they pierced. When that happens, if we have the gospel because they reject it, how good is it going to be when they accept it? Well, it tells you right here what, that, what day that is. Lest you be wise in your own eye. I said, yeah, I don't have that. How much more will their inclusion mean? I don't have it in there, but it says it will be the, the resurrection from the dead. Meaning when the Jews say they see their Messiah, that's complete. See, we're still in the midst of God dealing with Israel. We're celebrating or we're saved as Gentiles, but God is still waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles, and they will. And when that happens, what comes next? The resurrection from the dead, because we're done here. That, that's what Paul's saying. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So in other words... In your own arrogance, I would say it this way, if you believe in replacement theology, oh, God's done with Israel, he's now gone on to the, the church, yes, he has, and the Gentiles are coming to Christ, we call it the church, but it says here, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, that's not exactly what's happening, don't, don't be arrogant, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the gentiles has come in so right now you'll see some jews come to christ there's a but there's a partial hardening that they're like no we're waiting for the true messiah well someday they're going to see him upon his return and there's going to be a massive revival and they're all going to come and it says right here until the fullness of the gentiles has come in so whenever god is done with the gentiles and they've come in Jesus Christ appears in the sky, the Jews see him, and there's a national repentance, a national repentance, and they come to Christ, and uh, we're in the end times. Again, now you can put in there the, the pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, you can try all those games right there, uh, which I enjoy. But again, be careful of the speculation, because you start arguing about things you don't understand and causes division and hate and all this stuff. Oh boy, Gentiles 12, you know, God's going to bless all nations through Abraham, Psalm 22, Isaiah 42. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So this is going to continue until all the lands, all the nations. This is Old Testament. 
God, and we can, we've gone through the minor prophets on Tuesday night, and we've seen uh, even in Micah, uh, Micah, Malachi, uh, God talking about his, his knowledge will go to the ends of the earth. And this is just saying right here. He will not grow faint. He's not going to stop until he's established justice in the earth and the coastline, coastlands wait for his law. Now, the coastlands would be the distant islands, and they're waiting on the coast for his law. Again, don't think Mosaic law. You can. But he's talking about his knowledge or his word comes to their land. All the Gentiles prophesying. The Gentiles are going to be waiting for this to happen. And Paul is saying it's happening now. And the Jews or the false teachers in Ephesus are saying, no, 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 that's wrong. And Paul's coming back saying, no, if you're going to pray correctly, you've got to pray like this, and you're going to have to accept his ministry. Isaiah 49, 6, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now he's talking to the nation of Israel will be a light to the nations, or he's talking to the Messiah, which would be Jesus Christ, will make it a, him a light to the nations that my salvation, the sozo that we're talking about in these verses, may reach to the end of the earth, which again would be all the you know, Gentile territories in, in uh, Isaiah's day, 700 B.C. Jeremiah 19, or 16, verse 19, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers... This is the Gentiles coming to Christ the Messiah. Now, if that be in the church age or if that be in the kingdom age when he's returning and sitting on the throne. I mean, you can figure that out or talk about it. Speculate, but don't fight. Uh, 16, 19 through 21. To you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, here's what they will say when they see Jesus. Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies. Our gods, our philosophies, our worldview, now that we've seen you, they handed us in our public school education, our university system, our culture handed down to us through pop culture, nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods? Is postmodernism correct? No. Such are not gods. Therefore, behold, I will make them known. This once I will make them known my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. And that's what he's saying there. Zechariah 2, 11. Many nations shall join them themselves to the Lord in that day, and they shall be my people. My, Malachi 1, 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. So the sun comes up all the way until the sun goes down, wherever the sun's at. The name of the Lord will be great, not in Israel, but among the nations, despite Israel. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. Now, every place, incense will be offered in, to my name. Now, very clearly, the Old Testament, it was very precise. There, he'll show you the place to make offering. You offered incense to God or a sacrifice to God on a different altar besides Jerusalem, right here on this spot right there. It was called a high place. And a righteous king would come and tear that place down. You only worship God with sacrifice and offering right there on that spot. Then what does this verse mean where he says, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same great nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. Every place they're going to be burning incense to me and making offerings. It's like, no, 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 no. You can't say that, Malachi, because that's a violation of the law of Moses. It's got to be the place God has chosen. How would this ever come to pass? Oh, 
right here in Ephesus. You come to Christ, you're redeemed in Christ, and now your lifestyle becomes an acceptable offering to God, and your, your prayers, your lifestyle are a pleasing sacrifice, or the conversion of the Gentiles are sacrifices to God. You're bringing things to God in the new covenant. In other words, to fulfill this verse, you're going to need the new covenant because you're violating the old covenant in the fulfillment of this prophecy of Malachi again. For my name, he says, will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And then I've got Romans 5, quoting Psalms 18 right there. And again, boy, there we go. Bring these notes back next week. Good. See, I did it. I don't have to talk about chapter 2, verse 9 next week. Oh, dodge the bullet for one more week. I'll pray, and we are finished. Thank you so much for being here, and uh, keep thinking. We don't want to speculate. We do have the absolute apostolic truth that we want to follow, and I am trying to teach, so I may be deviating sometimes, but do hold to the fact that we do have the absolute truth that will transform your life. I'm just trying to present it, and sometimes I think I do a great job, and sometimes I think, uh, maybe you should, you, you, well, edit the video. <laughs> All right, but here we all pray, and, and we're finished. Thank you for being here. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for your word, and we do ask that we may grow and understand your truth, that we may pr produce a life that is obedient in our thoughts and in our actions and be a sacrifice and offering that is pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again.